You're listening to the Make It British podcast. I'm Kate Hills and I'm on a one woman mission to save UK manufacturing. I invite you to join me each week when I'll be sharing the stories behind some of the best British made brands and UK manufacturers and offering you advice and tips on making in the UK. So let's get on with today's show. Welcome to episode number 171 of the Make It British podcast. Now, if you're a regular listener to this show, you'll know that I get somewhat excited when we talk about micro factories. So you might be thinking, what the heck is a micro factory, Kate? And in its simplest form, it is that someone who is doing all of their own manufacturing for their own brand and has started that up as a small factory. And I suppose the reason I get so excited is because I originally had my own micro factory back in the early 90s, which I talked about on one of the earlier episodes when I talked about my background. Now, the couple that I'm interviewing today, it is a couple, I've got two interviewees, is Rich and Linda from a company called Usual Objections. I stumbled across them on Instagram and was instantly struck by the stunning swimwear that they make. And when I found out from Rich that he was actually making all of the swimwear himself, including digitally printing it on site in their home in Hackney, I knew I had to get him on the show. So both Rich and his partner Linda are on the show with me today, telling us all about how they launched their brand Making Swimwear, what the reason was that they decided to make it themselves in the end, having tried doing so with several UK manufacturers, and what the lessons are that they have learned in setting up their own micro factory, which will be great advice to anyone who's thinking of doing something themselves. In fact, Rich said to me after we switched off the recording, that he would definitely advise anyone to think about doing their own manufacturing when they're launching a brand rather than getting another manufacturer to do so. So they're definitely my sort of people. I hope you enjoy this interview as much as I enjoyed chatting to Rich and Linda from Usual Objections. So here you go. Hello, Rich and Linda. My first Hello. time having a having a threesome on the podcast. It's usually uh, just uh, me uh, and one other interviewee. So this <laughs> is exciting. Hello. So thank you for joining me today. I have been really excited about talking to you because those people that listen to this podcast know how obsessed I am with micro factories. And you've got like the ultimate micro factory, haven't you? A swimwear micro factory. Oh, yes. So before we get on to talking about that, do you want to just take me back to a little bit of a summary of both of your backgrounds and how you first started this crazy project of yours. And Linda, do you want to go first? Ladies sure. first. Sure. <laughs> so, um, my, so my background is actually in, well, first technology and then media, but basically building products, digital products. So um, the connection, I suppose, is that I take an idea from a concept through to finish. So I'm kind of more the operations side of the business. And then I'll let Rich go next. Do you want, I mean, like, you know what? Rich? So I think in a sense, I was very creative at school, right? I loved drawing, I loved art, you know, I loved making things. But my school was one of those kind of typical northern schools in the 80s. It was like, you know, there's no money in art or, which it may have been, may have, may not been right. But um, basically they were like, you need to do engineering or maths or science, you know, that's where you're going to get a good job. And so I didn't really touch it after leaving school fell into IT, did that for sort of 20 years, but was never happy. And then um, it sort of started by accident. You know what? I did a sewing course because I used to get very annoyed when the laundrette would alter your shirts or trousers <laughs> and not do a very good job. And I sort of thought, you know, how hard can it be to, you know, alter a shirt or something? And that was sort of, I guess, the genesis of it was doing this a sewing class at City Lit, a shirt making course. And then... Um, oh, Wow. Yeah, so it's pattern cutting, sewing. And then I kind of, it was just a, like a side thing. And I got more and more into it because I'm a bit OCD. So I got more and more into becoming better at sewing. And I did some classes at um, CSM and LCF on swimwear and grading and did more and more and more. And then at some point, we are, when we'd been looking to sort for a business idea, we were swimming a lot, couldn't find nice swimwear and sort of thought, well, as it is with a bit of naivety and hubris we thought how hard can it be to make a swimsuit 
And, uh, <laughs> and you can see me laughing at this because yeah. you know my background is a swimwear buyer and swimwear is one of the most difficult things to get the fit right, it's, as you've uh, now found it's out. It's very hard, yeah. <laughs> little tank how, how difficult can a little tank be oh to get right oh my god actually Rich made one swimsuit really quickly just on a home sewing machine and it was great we were like this is easy this is you know just one fabric maybe two fabrics some elastic we'll be fine even changing the colour of the thread will will alter the settings of the machine where suddenly you need to tweak things because things have more or less friction, you know, with different dyes. And at that level, yes, yeah, it's very hard. That's so true. And when people say, oh, my manufacturer's charging me more because I'm making two different colours, it's like they've got to rethread the machine and yeah, test yeah. it. Yeah, and yeah. so you're discovering. So you had neither of you had any experience in manufacturing before you started. No. I mean, we've basically done everything you're not supposed to do. We've gone into, <laughs> into, into an industry that we had no experience of doing something that we've never done before. I, I love did, it. In my I 20s, l- I did help a friend set up a swimwear label, uh, not swimwear, a uh, clothing label. But um, it was very small and we did everything wrong. And <laughs> um, but so I had kind of more the business side of things. But, you know, I didn't we didn't really contact mills at this point or anything like that. So it was just buying off, um, you know, the cloth shop, things like that. So nothing yeah. really um, nothing to this level when we started. Brilliant. So you can give people tips on this episode today then of how not to do it, where you went wrong. <laughs> so, OK, so Rich made a sample of the first the first swimsuit on like a home sewing machine. What happened next? What was the next step? You know what? So we never started off thinking we were going to have some kind of super micro factory or something um, like, you know, like anyone else. We started to look for pattern cutter, started to look for factory and um we found an amazing pattern cutter who's like super helpful, but uh, you know we just had bad luck with the factories at the start, and I think there are some good factories that we found now a bit too late, and so I think the first factory told us they could do it, and then after six months, when the deadline finally had reached, you know, the third or fourth deadline, they told us that they couldn't do it after all, so then we, then we had to kind of find somebody else, and then we spent another few thousand on samples that. They were just like never right. Um, you know, they just, you know, like basic things like you specify a 10 mil elastic and it would come back and it'd be a five mil. And then, which sounds like trivial, but, um, you know, all these little details were just, were just wrong. And um, so I, that's how we got into it. I started to buy, I bought some machines from Reese just to kind of speed up sampling with no intention of doing like full production. And, um, and then we just got to a point, maybe like a year in, where the stuff I was making at home was was better than the stuff we were getting back from the factories. And so, yeah, at that point, we were like, well, let's just make it ourselves. But then it took another year to get to the point where <laughs> we were like, you know, at 99, 100% rather than just 90 um, so Reese, for the you just mentioned there, that's Reese at AE Sewing, yeah, who yeah, is, really was good, one of yeah. our exhibitors. Did you meet them at our... Trade show, is that how yeah, you met yeah. Reese? Yeah. Excellent. I remember when he brought that machine along to the show that put the elastic in for, for swimwear. And I think, because my daughter is a gymnast and I used to make her leotards on my uh, home sewing yeah, machine, yeah. a real botch job. And I used to covet that machine and think, wow, if ever I was going to, you know, set up a little leotard factory, that I want that machine. So you were those crazy people that came along to the show, saw that machine and, and bought it. <laughs> yeah, we we bought a few actually now. <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, what Reese didn't tell me at the start was that swimwear is basically the hardest thing you can possibly make. Um, but, you know, they've been so helpful because all along with each machine, they've kind of tried to, you know, they've guided me and helped me like figure out what's going to be best. And um, hmm. but yeah, we're on like nine, nine machines now in total. Um, Brilliant. In and then house. Linda, you're in your house. <laughs> Well, that's the way to do it. When I first had my own business in the early 90s, when we used to make clothing, we did it from a small Victorian house in Wood Green and then progressed onto a factory in Shoreditch. So being there, done it. And I yes. completely I understand totally um, what you've been going through. So so you the first was the first sample and then you started investing in the machinery and you had samples made from manufacturers that weren't quite right. What sort of time scale are we on now from that first ever sample to when you'd got to the point where you were you were making your own and thinking, right, we can do the production on this ourselves? 
Um, you know what? It was about a year of faff trying to find a factory that didn't pan out. And then it was another year of getting from deciding we were going to do it ourselves to properly sort of being ready. And that took mm. us up to, we launched basically properly last March, <laughs> just two weeks before lockdown. <laughs> But, oh, yeah, when all the swimming pools shut. Yeah, so that was like... <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. We, and, Linda, I've seen... You You were obviously the, the fit model, were you, for this? I think you were the person that all of the uh, the samples were, were tried on. Did yeah. you say you also helped source the fabric? Yep, yep. So we went to quite a few trade shows. We went. We started off public Premier Vision and then we went to the more technical trade shows. Um, so... Uh, I'm trying to think of their names, ISPO, and um, there's another one coming up very soon. Um, but yeah, we went to all the U- European performance trade days. performance days. That's it. Yeah, and we went for those to all the trade shows, and then we just um, we lucked out because we found um, a really nice mill in Italy with you know lots of st- sustainable uh, sustainable practices. Um, because for us, it's not only important to be making um, you know regenerating UK business, but also throughout our um, ethos is to be sustainable and make something that's good for the planet as well as for people. So, um, yeah, I went, we went along to all the, yeah, we found great mills and then we started to get sample, fa- uh, sample fabrics in. Um, we tried to find lining fabrics. We worked with a few mills here in the UK, but unfortunately the quality, it's just not their skill set anymore in the UK. So, um the best fabric we could find because we were making technical garments for swimming in you know pools and open water we just had to go to italy that's where the best most yeah. local fabrics are that we could use and your swimwear is all printed now was it printed back then and who did you get to do the printing or at what point did you also decide to buy a printing machine no we, so the, quite the yeah sorry the printer was like one of the first things we bought actually but, oh, was you know, it? Yeah, but again, you know what? Um, because that is a nightmare on low volume. We found like there's some amazing printers in the UK. You know, there's there's still like hundreds of them, but um, none of them wanted to print on our own fabric, the smaller ones, and the bigger ones would do it. But if you factored in the cost per meter and the postage and everything else, it was gonna. It's basically like a hundred pounds to do like a test print. You know, and then obviously, well, you know, the first few prints don't even, they probably don't work, don't work. You know, like uh, I've been doing, well, you can see it in the background, but there's this peacock print and, you know, it can take like 10 or 15 prints before you figure out the right, you know, the ratio of the colours and the, the pattern and everything else. And so, yeah, I think the printer is relatively expensive, like maybe 6,000, but you know, we've easily made our money back on that, you know, in terms of the time we save and, uh, you know, the costs. And it also also means you can do bespoke one-off. So I've seen on your website the, you know, print your own dog on the front of your swimsuit. Love it, love it. We'll be placing an order. Um, You wouldn't be able to do that if you didn't have your own printer because the lead times you'd have to wait to get another printer to do that one metre that you need for the front of that swimsuit. Yeah, would be just too long. Yeah, so the, yeah, it, exactly. yeah, it would be months, and it would still basically cost a hundred quid to print, more or less, maybe fifty or uh, between. But between that, and so it'd be so expensive. What we were doing is we had a smaller heat press, and then we were going to a friend up in Tottenham to print the bigger pieces. But um, when lockdown hit, we knew we'd have to, you know, we wouldn't be able to travel that much, so we did buy a huge heat press, which is now in our living room. So. <laughs> Slowly, we're uh, being moved out of our own home. <laughs> and you've got kids as well, haven't you? We do, yeah, yes. Um, we, we had a yeah. baby last May. <laughs> so not only a lockdown, <laughs> a pandemic, a baby as well to boot. <laughs> and so we have an eight-year-old, out. yeah, and the baby now. And, and a dog. printer in your living room. Well, and the dog that decided to go blind about two weeks after lockdown last year. So it was quite hectic. Oh, oh brilliant. Um, so um, to have you had any funding for any of the machinery, because I'd imagine it's been quite a big investment. You said you've got nine machines now. Have you had any funding or has it all been totally self-funded? No, we're currently still self-funded. So that's like both our houses that, you know, we sold, the car. I saw that on your website. Um, Actually, when I read your about page on your website, it almost brought me to tears. It's like oh. we've, we've sold two ha- We've practically sold everything we own to We have sold everything we own. I don't think it's a sensible thing to do. I wouldn't like recommend it, but... Um, 
you know, I would. <laughs> no, I'm enjoying it, but it's that compulsion, you know, you want it so much that you're just willing to kind of sacrifice things. Um, yeah, and you know, also, you can always buy things back. Yeah, and also, you, I, you know, you had tested the waters, to excuse the swimwear pun, by putting a few samples out there first. Had you, you, have, you didn't buy all of the machines in one go. You made a few, sold a few, tested the idea. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I think the problem is Rich is very, well, it's not a problem. It's a good thing. Um, it's a problem for our bank accounts, but he's very precise and very exact. And so the more we got into it, the more machines we realised we would have to buy to do the job properly. Um, so that's why we just kept buying another one and another one. And Rich was always like, this is the last one. <laughs> and so then we find another you- one. <laughs> so talk us through it then for anyone thinking of setting up any sort of lingerie swimwear fabric factory i presume you so you've got your printing machine i presume you've got an overlocker you've got the machine that puts the elastic in you've got a binding machine have exactly, you yeah. a cover, a stitch, cover stitch, stitch machine yeah yeah have you got a flat lock machine yeah yeah that's six yeah <laughs> what else to do uh there's like um there's a few different lock stitch one for like basting it together at the start which is like a do you know needle feed where yeah. like the needle moves as well as the feed dog so for lingerie it's really good um because you don't get like ruching as, a, as you're sewing through like you know multiple layers whatever and then um there's a top feed for doing because we make our own little bags as well that go with a swimsuit so then you needed a machine for that. Yeah. It's, but this it, does show to people, you know, why it is that there aren't that many factories in the UK that do swimwear or lingerie, because it's much easier to set up a factory with just an overlocker and a straight stitch machine and make simple dresses yeah, than it yeah. is to start buying all these technical machines to make the more technical products. I think things are changing, definitely. I'm sure Reese from AE Sewing has probably told you that. He's probably selling more of these machines now as more people like you, or maybe not. Maybe you are a one-off in the um, set up your own swimwear business. No, but I think, I think more people pro- are getting involved. Um, when you look at, I think you've talked about it a lot, but when you look at the costs of making stuff in China or even Portugal, you know, relative to sort of, you know, import duties and the time, you you know, that it takes and everything else, that actually, if, you, if you're willing to kind of put your head down and learn a little bit, it's not, you know, there's not that much to it to say setting up a factory that can make dresses, you know. Um, and there's, you know, like there's loads of people out there that are willing to help. Um, I think in the long run, it's probably much cheaper. And then, you know, and then the benefit is you, you can pivot as well. So if you start making something and nobody's buying it, you can just switch, you know. If, one, if you've got a good lock stitch and an overlock, there's a, there's a whole bunch of things you could make with that. Um, yeah, exactly. So when did you first get the brand out there? So usual objections, and I'd love to know where the name came from as well. When, when did that first happen? What was the look? That was March last year, was it? That was when our site went live. Yeah. So we'd been up and running for a while. Um, We set up the business. You know, we registered our trademark really early on. Um, We have lots of lawyer friends that told us to do that super early. (laughs) But um, the actual shop site went live last year. Um, Yeah. And then the name, I'll let Rich explain. (laughs) The name? The name. Yeah. You know what? Um, lots of like, you know, you do your research and basically, but basically lots of sports brands, you know, they're all sort of like named after gods, you know, like Nike or Tia is a god or it's all like Under Armour and they're all like a bit tough. And um, it wasn't really us, you know, I think like there's so many times I've kind of put my running stuff on and just sat at my desk for an hour psyching myself up, you know, because it's raining or something. And um or even starting a business, you know, it took us 20 years to really kind of commit. And I think it's just about really, you know, those excuses that you make for not doing stuff. Um, But, you know, trying to overcome those, basically, you know, like, it's too cold, or it's going to cost too much money, or I'm too old. And for me, that I've always found that super interesting, you know, the mental blockers that you kind of put on yourself. Um, Mm. So that's kind of where it came from. It's sort of about, you know, whinging a bit, but then doing it, basically. (laughs) So being your coach, (laughs) getting you out there. I love it. And which was the first design? So you've got all of the the different prints 
that you do now that you've got on your website there's what about a dozen different designs that you've got which one came first the very um, first print actually was one that we did with a friend so actually she, at the time she was uh, put forward to us she was a textile designer um through our neighbor and then she helped us make a, des a design a print but actually she re she gave us the confidence or rich the confidence to do it himself because we kept saying oh maybe we could do this maybe do that and then rich was just tinkering a little bit and actually she said you know what you're good enough to do it yourself so um it's nice it's quite serendipitous in a way because we have her first design but then everything since then is all rich um so all the designs she just tinkers away and then out comes something beautiful <laughs> and what is the balance of your time spent between the two of you on on running the business so how much of it is design how much of it is production and how much of it is doing the marketing and the sales and oh, who does what you know what i think i think basically we did know we were marketing last year and now we've realized that was a mistake so yes. um, so <laughs> i think prior to this year we used to spend kind of maybe 30, 40% on sort of production stuff, 40% maybe trying to work on designs or prints, uh, and then 20% doing like the, you know, the bookkeeping or whatever. Um, now we're and trying to spend- And you've now realized less design, more yeah. marketing and yeah, sales. Yeah. There's no point having all these prints if no one knows who you are. <laughs> Because no, everybody exactly. loves the product. So once they get it, it's great. And they, you know, they love it. And we've got some real super fans out there. But I think the problem is knowing that we're out there. Um, so yeah, we now have a marketing problem. So we're trying our best to go out there <laughs> and spread the word. Also, last year, we were planning to be at all the swim events and pools and, you know, just have a presence. And Obviously, that's all gone. So I think um, our strategy was word of mouth initially. And now we realize that that's great, but you do need something else on top of it. Um, you know, and we're all on our phones day in, day out and just need to utilize that a bit better. So um, we're investing more in marketing this year. And it's so what is your plan for, yeah. So what is your plan for that? Are you going to be doing um, any of the shows in we'll try and pop along to some of the um, swim events. Um, we haven't arranged that as of yet. There's a few coming up. Um, there's a Henley swim coming up in the summer, so we'll try and go along to that. Um, but also we'd like to be at some of the pools, um, you know, lockdown permitting. So just to have a little presence. Um, we're very, you know, we're have a, we've got the luxury of a 50-metre outdoor Lido just around the corner, so we can make use of that. And then there's a few of the um, open water venues that we could probably just have a little pop-up. Um, so slowly just get yeah, people to see idea. it. Yeah. Um, but, um, so I presume you're near London Fields Lido, are you? Yes. Yeah, yes. we're like one minute 40 walk. <laughs> we timed <laughs> oh, it when we moved in. <laughs> so is that lucky. your typical customer then? Who is your, your target customer for, for your swimsuits? I think for us, it's anybody that's got a real love for pa and passion for swimming and actually having a good quality product. There's a wide range of swimwear. So there's the cheap brands um, and then there's the kind of really, uh, really high fashion brand. And we're trying to be somewhere in the middle, you know, a nice, beautiful product that is actually well made and will last in whether you're doing outdoor swimming, um, whether you're doing indoor pool swimming or outdoor pool swimming, just a pro product that will last. Um, so for us, it's currently only women because we've only got swimsuits up, but we do, we've got a men's trunk coming very soon. So we've I got saw lots that. of, yeah. <laughs> we've got lots of uh, potential customers saying, when are the men's trunks coming? Um, but yeah, it's somebody that's interested in good quality wants to have uh, fun prints. Um, I think there's a lot of people that will have, you know, actually that's another area we're getting into is larger sizing because we've so far only got eight to 16 sizing. Um, it just, as a startup, you can't do everything. We try, <laughs> every grading, every grade costs, you know, more money, more time. Um, and actually last year, just not having any fit models to be able to, to test things on. So that's changing now. We've got a few, that's what a big thing for this year as well is to be, make the range more inclusive. Um, Brilliant. We'd love to help everybody eventually. You know, if you've got, um, if you've had a mastectomy, we can help you by doing any, you know, an insert so you can put, um, you know, you can get support in there. So it's just, 
hard to do everything all at once. So we have to do things slowly. Definitely. Um, and just get thing one thing right. <laughs> yeah. And then move I on th- to the next one. Yeah. I think for both of us, what was important, you know, is that, uh, that you know, there's like a lot of greenwashing basically in fashion that's been going on for a while. And of course you choose, you know, recycled fabrics or anything, you know, but for us, what was the, the important thing is for the business, not just fabric wise, but as a whole to be, you know, socially and kind of ethically responsible. Um, so like supporting local businesses, you know, with, you know, our packaging is from, you know, like from UK businesses, you know, um, we give back a, a portion of, you know, the sales to, you know, environmental things, you know, and it's trying to do a full spectrum on the whole business as a whole, you know, sort of basically trying to use capitalism as a force for good, you know, rather than for bad. Um, (laughs) And I think going back to the customers, it's people that sort of believe in doing something that's kind of ethical and sustainable. Um, And of course, your product, I mean, you've got to buy in the fabric from Italy. But after that, it's the, your supply chain is all within yeah we have our um ha- there's a haberdasher down the road where we buy all our fabric uh, threads from um they've been running since i don't know early 1900s they're do you know old. william g they've been there I when do, you were here yeah yeah, yeah. so we go down <laughs> yeah, there i yeah. used to be very scared when i went in there when i didn't know anything about sewing you know they're, they're actually super nice but the first few they times are. i was a bit intimidated <laughs> But um, all our papers so, I mean, that's from what's... the UK mills, um, yeah, the box manufacturers from down the road in uh, South London, five generations. You know, for us, it's really important to support a community of, um, you know, the local community of local businesses. We're members of the East End Trades Guild, so um, we're always helping each other out there, you know, so promote, cross-promoting each other. If we need anything, we look to our uh, you know our neighbors across the road as we can i think you know it's just because there's a the skills are sort of disappearing from the uk you know and if somebody no no they're coming back rich no, but they're exactly coming back. but you've got to support uk businesses otherwise they don't and i think that's what we had yeah like even trying to learn how to make a swimsuit there's nobody left that really knows how to make swimwear you know not at, especially not at like an industrial level you know so it's been like really really hard work and you know, if you can, like Hackney, you know, obviously was where all the rag trade was back in the day. And I think for us, it's about trying to bring some of that back so that, you know, younger people can learn skills, you know, that um, hopefully now will be worth more money, you know, than they were sort of in the 80s or 90s, you know, um, yeah. that it's recognised more as a craft, you know. I know the government doesn't think sewing is a, is a skill, but... Um, don't even <laughs> get me started. I'd like to see them have they a don't. go. Yeah, I have seen a picture of Boris on a sewing machine right. once many years ago. But yeah, talk about um, brick washing it. Uh, yeah, let, let's 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 gloss over that. So, but talking of the skills, you're obviously going to get to the stage where it can't just be you making the production rich. So yeah, what are you going to? What's going to be your next step? Because you've got to think forward. If you suddenly have a mad rush on this summer when everyone gets out, goes you know to the local pools and, and in the lidos wants to buy your swimwear what's the plan to to expand yeah so i mean um, there's a girl that helps out on and off that um did uh, like consor you know at dmu and yeah, um in leicester and, she, and she's really yeah yeah and she's really good um i'm at the point now actually where i could i could teach someone to make a swimsuit you know i know enough now and some of the operations are like quite straightforward you know like basting the suit together um that takes quite a bit of time but actually it's you know it's just straight lines pretty much um but yes people people you know what at the start people always ask like you tell them about the model that you've done for like making stuff to order or just in time whatever and they say that's great but how do you scale it but I think like it's a good problem to have if you're having to scale. And at the minute we're not there. But um I can make ten swimsuits a day myself, um, like currently, like relatively easily. And then um beyond that, yeah, you know, I think with two of us we could probably make thirty a day because you know it becomes much quicker with, you know, when you're not trying to like do your you know, multiple jobs at the same time. Um, yeah, you'd have someone on the printing, someone on certain exactly, processes yeah, yeah. on the swimsuit. Um, so you've got there, to think about that. Yeah, but you know what? There's like loads of people super interested. You know, there's like loads of fashion graduates and stuff that want to get involved. But um, yeah, yeah, and last so, year we worked with, um, oh, I've got her name now, but from The Seam. 
Linda was talking about the seam, which is a really good network of freelance sewing machinists and things. It, I think originally it was in London, but now I think they've gone a bit more national. And so the lady super nice there that runs our, and she did a post and like loads of people got in touch um, saying they could help. Um, but, you know, the sad thing is with one of the sad things with COVID, I mean, there's quite there's a few, but um, we'd been in touch with a charity. There's a lady who helps uh, refugees Um and then the plan originally was to start like training those guys up to sew and to start making stuff and do like as a charitable side to the business also, you know, and helping these ladies kind of um, that she deals with. But then obviously once COVID hit, you know, with social distancing and everything else, we've had to kind of put it on hold. Um, but if that starts again, that that's definitely part of the plan as well. Um, and they definitely say if you start a business during you know, a time like this where, you know, particularly COVID, it's it's got to have been one of the most difficult times to start a business, but at the same time, a great time to do it because it can only get easier once, like you say, you know, you have proper access to, to the fit models you need and the pools are open. So it's, you know, it's a good time to have, have done that groundwork and got to get got to the stage that you've got to so far. Yeah, it's so, good. I think just like, Everyone has their own personal things with the COVID, you know, that it's like they've missed out on of, you know, and I think for us, like, we had the baby, we, you know, we started a business really properly and then there was COVID. I think two of those things we could have handled, but the three together has been, it's definitely been hard. So if you were going to do it all again, and I'll ask each of you this question separately, if you're going to do it all again, how would you do it differently? Linda, do you want to go first? I think we would have spent... Uh, less time waiting around so I think we spent a lot of time just waiting for people I think what we would have done next time is just actually make a decision move forward um, and spend lo less time probably doing a lot of upfront analysis um, you know we spent so much time going to different trade shows trying to find the perfect fabric and actually just start with one and then you always invariably something else comes your way um, it's just get going take that first step um, if you've got to wait on somebody, do so, do something else in the meantime. Don't just wait for the next step. Just always make decisions. Even if they're wrong, you can come back and fix them later. It's better to make a decision, have moved a little bit forward than um, being stood still. So I think we would know next time if we had to start up again, just just go for it. Just do it. <laughs> and um, Great advice. Yes. <laughs> Richard, what, have you, what, what would you have done differently, Rich? Not not made swimwear. <laughs> uh, yeah. No, I love you know what I, shirt dresses yeah, instead. Yeah. No, I love the swimwear. No, you know we love swimming. Like it's as a lifestyle. If you know, hopefully we can still we can make it work, and it's amazing. You know, because you, you go to the pool, you, you know, you see people swimming in your suits. You know, you, everything around our life is based on swimming, which is like the thing we probably love the, the most. You know, so um, I think that's probably why we've been so committed to trying to make it work, but. I think like Linda said, just, you know, that analysis paralysis, you know, you can spend so long Googling stuff and researching um, that uh, we wasted a lot of time on that. And I think we've both realised that, um, you know, if you have a blocker for more than a few days, you know, like a decision maybe that you're sat on the fence, you, you, you move forward quicker by just making the decision. And if it's wrong, you, re you realise what the right decision was, you know, and we wasted a lot of time, you know, like uh, just trying to like deduce what the right answer is you know um and like the sewing machines is a good example because a couple of machines we've bought have turned out not to be right but um if we hadn't bought them we would still be at like some stage like you know like we were a year ago um i think you have to like you know make the mistakes to kind of to to get to where you want to be whereas um I think you're taught at school, you know, I think that's changing, but like, you know, don't make mistakes. And so it makes you quite risk averse. And, and actually, they're just a part of that process of um, yeah, trying to get so to the true. finish line. Yeah. And ask for help, actually. Um, you know, all along the way, we've had really brilliant help from different people. Um, don't be afraid to ask people, you know, what would you do? What, you know, what have you done? 
Um, even simple things like the press release. I went on and Googled trying to find different press releases. Actually, we forgot we have a friend who's, you know, started up a, an amazing shop. Actually, can you help me out? And she sent me loads of amazing press releases. So I think it's just trying to tap into your network. And if you don't have one, maybe just be cheeky and, you know, just ping somebody. Um, yeah, I think there's just so many people out there that are willing to give their time and, and don't be shy to ask. Yeah. Talking of shops and retail, is there any plan? Have you built in the kind of margin within your prices to do wholesale and to sell to any shops? No, no. Do- <laughs> Rich, is, Rich is laughing. Yeah, we don't. Ha- I mean, there's not a lot of margin, unfortunately, but um, we did have our uh, some of our stock in um, just a local community shop, which unfortunately had to close down. Um, potentially, we will do some pop ups with people, but generally um to make the business sustainable it's better for us to sell directly um just because there isn't a lot of margin in the product as it is and one of the most sustainable things i mean i remember from being a swimwear buyer the margin that we had when i was at debenhams was like 85 percent. it was ridiculously high because so much of the product went into the sale particularly when you're buying bikinis which you haven't gone to bikinis yet but people will buy one size for the top and one size for the bottom so what you're doing by making to order is there is zero waste zero markdown so actually your margin doesn't need to be anywhere near that high because you're selling everything you produce which is the advantage of making here in the uk as well yeah exactly so with the shop order we had to make a lot of stock and actually since then we've decided to change the block a little bit just to be a bit more accommodating for different bum sizes and shapes so we now have quite a bit of stock that we need to just we'll have to get rid of at some point so um you're right exactly that's another problem for us is we don't want to be doing having just lots of stock that goes wasted we don't um that was never our intention um yeah have you read the no way to store it yeah, no, exactly, yeah. Yes. But um, you know which book I really liked is The Toyota Way? Have you read that? About... No, I haven't. I, mean, I know a lot about lean manufacturing, but I've not read The Toyota Way. It's, like, super interesting, but that that's kind of, like, where a lot of the inspiration comes from about um, just keep maybe have a little bit of stock, but, you know, as minimum as possible to kind of satisfy the orders that are coming in. Um and then, yeah, you know, like if errors crop up in production, which they can do, you don't have a thousand swimsuits where the, you know, the strap's been sewn on the wrong way. We have like three. Yeah. Um, which I keep telling people is the reason why it might seem like it's much cheaper. You could probably buy a swimsuit like yours from a manufacturer in China for a tenner, but you'd probably have to buy a thousand or two thousand of them. They turn up, if they're all wrong, you've wasted all of that money. Or if they don't sell, and particularly with swimwear, because it is so seasonal. Yeah. yeah. And that is going to bring me on to my next question is you have got a very seasonal product for the most part how do you plan to kind of work with that in terms of peaks and troughs in your production because you won't sell as many swim swimwear pieces in in the colder months no exactly yeah so you know what luckily for us it's most of the same fabrics and machines as a lot of the running stuff um so our biggest blocker there is again like time but um we have a block finished for some running leggings that we started to work on in the first lockdown. Um, we've got a block finished for some kind of more fashion cycling shorts. Um, there's some running shorts we've been working on. There's a few. I have low. You know, my problem is I like pottering and making things. And I spend so long on my own little projects that I forget about the business and marketing. So many brands do it. They tinker and they spend too much dis- time on design and product development rather than really maximising the product that they've already designed to to get it to sell. That's our biggest mistake, actually, definitely, 100%. Um, I think, you know what, there's another really good book on marketing, Traction, that I read over Christmas, and that really highlighted a lot of the problems we'd made. And he talks about, as a venture capital, he's like, most people come to him with a product, digital or otherwise, and, and then he's like, how are you going to market it? And they're like, oh, word of mouth, you know. Or, Instagram. Yeah. And they've not thought about it. And it, I think like most people, because you love the product and you love making things, you spend all this time on it and you just assume that people are just going to discover you once you launch. But when there's not thousands of people queuing up to buy it, you sort of, you know, suddenly you're like, oh, we've got to, we've got to try and fix this. 
Um, or they design far too much and they don't test it and they've designed it for themselves and they haven't really thought about who they're actually making it for until they've made a whole load of stock that they yeah, can't yeah. sell because they've they've designed it for themselves and rather for the for the customer. No, so like our swimsuit now, I think we're, I'm not exaggerating, I think it's on like a hundred or something iteration and it's just a super simple swimsuit just from, you know, feedback, testing stuff, changing things. Um, and that would have been so expensive to do if we were using somebody external. We would just wouldn't have been able to afford it. Um, yeah. yeah. So, um, Two last questions I'm going to ask both of you. The first one is, is there any other UK manufacturers in any industry, doesn't have to be textile related, that you admire? So, Linda, you first. Uh, sorry, well, I can let, hear let's our go. dog have snoring. Think, yeah, can sorry. you hear the dog snoring? I can't hear your dog. It's usually my dog snoring in the background. I wasn't... What is it, a pug? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> a blind a little note, squash note. He's going deaf and he's got a metal leg, but he's carries on. He's still happy. Oh, too cute. But he has appeared on the front of a swimsuit, which I love. Yeah. Um, oh, sorry. So Linda, I will say yeah, our UK box, manufacturer. Yeah, our box manufacturers, it's amazing that, you know, the five years, five generations, they've still got old machines in there from, you know, that his great granddad bought. Um, they, you know, they're still, you've got, you go in, it's just so beautiful to see all the different, um, I don't know what they're called. They're not dies, but all the different blocks for the different boxes that get made. Um, and, you know, still making beautiful things. They do, um, boxes for books, boxes for our, uh, swimwear that we, you know, that you can reuse and keep. Um, so I, yeah, I really admire those guys. Um. What's the name of the clothing the, the manufacturer? It's a McCarthy and Sons. Brilliant. Let's give them a shout out. I love it to hear about no, five generation business. I think it's like, yeah, some of the machines are like his great, 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 great granddad's box cutting machine that's still basically the same technology that they use now. Um, and for you, Rich, who is your, your um, you know, who, which UK manufacturer do you most admire? Um... There's, I mean, there's, there's a lot there that, you know, like uh, Finister, you know, is a super nice brand. But, you know, probably my favourite, just because they helped a bit at the start, was like, you know, Hyatt's denim. Um, yeah, David Hyatt. Yeah. yeah. Did they help? Brilliant. Well, you know what? Because I don't know if they do it now, but you used to be able to pay like a couple of hundred pounds and you could spend two days doing like a factory tour. You'd have like lunch with David, you know, and his family and there's some other, you know, people and you'd kind of just chat about manufacturing and just just seeing that was like my first proper seeing a factory and how they're making stuff you know the packaging like all aspects of it and um i just think what he's doing you know for that community in cardigan about trying to give people their jobs back you know it's so nice that um people that had skills that have kind of not been used you know i think he joked about it but i think they're the guy who now cuts their the the, gen, the denim, you know, the pattern cutter or something, he was their postman for a while because he'd lost his job at the, you know, the original, I think it was a Debenhams factory maybe uh, that they were making jeans for mostly. It was M&S. Um, was it? Right, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, that, yeah. what he's doing good is really choice. good. Uh, yeah. But also Annie and Han at Black Horse Lane, they were amazing. Yeah. Um, Annie just did a tour for us at the, you know, at the factory, which for us was, again, dream. <laughs> So, um, that, but they have very similar ethos, you know, working with good quality products, um, trying to engage with the community. They have a space at the back of their factory that they, uh, you know, rent out to other businesses. So that again is an, uh, you know, a fantastic business model that we'd love to replicate at some point. So, yeah, the next step for you guys at some point has got to be finding a, a factory space, hasn't it? And actually having a factory of, yeah, of some sort. Yeah, yeah, I'm ready. <laughs> I'm ready. There's not quite the empty warehouse spaces that there used to be in the early 90s, is there, around no, your way, that, you back know, when I lived there? There's, in a funny way, COVID has helped because, I mean, um, the rents have actually come down a little bit because a lot of people have moved out, so, which is sad for them, but um, it could work out like a better for us in the short term. But, but yeah, it's expensive. It's not like it used to be... Um, and again, that you know, I don't think people appreciate that all that has to factor into your margin. You know, like it's yeah. a lot of people look at a garment and they they think, oh, it's this fabric cost a pound, so that's what the garment should cost. And actually, you know, like it's so small the fabric cost. You know, you've got your your <laughs> space, you know, the labour. Like, there's a lot of things that, that add on. 
Um, Which was when I looked at the price of your swimsuits, I thought, they're undercharging on these. Well, we, yeah, you know, but you know what? I didn't want to make, like, expensive stuff. Um, yeah. I hate, like, when brands have really nice things, but they're, they're, they're unaffordable. Um but we're, you know, it's we don't actually still know if we're making a profit or not properly, <laughs> um, which is a, I think we are. But, tut, um, tut. Yeah, it's... Um, you need to spend more time on admin, Rich, and less yeah, on design. I think those we are. Bo- those books. I hope so. <laughs> um, Brilliant. No, but I think... So com- that was probably... I think compared to sort of comparative brands, you know, in that, like, higher-end sportswear what we're selling is actually cheap you know because um the, the, all those other brands it's all just made in asia you know there's not the same social you know and community kind of aspects to what they're doing um but yeah it's hard because mm. um you, like, if i could i would charge 10 pounds a swimsuit you know if i could make it cheap enough you know because I, i'd like stuff to be accessible to everyone but um yeah but you then have the challenge as well you talked about you want to get into into plus sizes and this is where i remember from my debitum swimwear buying days they gave it a different label name in order that they knew it would use more fabric you've either got to put the price up across the board to cover the fact that you're using more fabric you might have power mesh in your in your larger sizes like the the tummy control stuff that you don't have in the the eight you know the size eight and then you can't really charge two different prices for the same swim, same swimsuit because it's not inclusive. So then do you put the price up across the board? Do you give it a different brand name, which is what Debenhams did? Because so much more goes into the bigger sizes in terms of support and stuff like that. So I don't want to rain on your parade no, about no, prices. Like, That's uh, right. Yeah, <laughs> I have the... got a podcast episode, though, you might want to listen to. Are you <laughs> charging enough for your UK-made products? I'm yeah, going to send you the link. Right, yeah, yeah, we need it. <laughs> Um, no, but it's, you know, um, this, you know what, even on a, say a size 10, you know, which is say like sample size for us, uh, you could have 10 women with the same dimensions, but all look completely different body shapes. And I think that's the problem, obviously, like, you know, with stretch, even before you get to plus sizing, it's, it's, it's a bit of a nightmare, um, to fit. So yeah. Um, and also people have such different personal preferences. I mean, I grew up in Brazil. I want it super skimpy. <laughs> the UK market up until yeah. recently just wanted really large, you know, cover me all all over. Um, so I think there's also a personal preference that's it's changing. But, um, you know, there's that. That's funny. Well. I thought your surname might be might be Brazilian. And that's another swimwear connection then, isn't it? I've been to Brazil a few times. I love Brazil. I don't love their swimsuit, their skimpy swimsuits though. (laughs) (laughs) Though I did buy one when I was there, but now only my daughter can get away with wearing it. (laughs) Fantastic. So final question then, um, because I want to keep you too much longer because you've got a business to run. Um, What does made in UK mean to you? You know, I think like, Maybe this is speaking personally, but um, I think it's about the the craft, basically, um, and ma- making stuff, not making a surplus of stuff that's basically going to go to landfill. You know, working on smaller quantities with a craft and a skill behind it um, for the people that um, either care about that, but also, you know, can afford it, but that, that want to spend a bit more money on a garment that... Um, yeah, just like we were saying, like it's more ethically and kind of sustainably produced. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think that's right. And I mean, we, we could have easily found manufacturers to make swimwear abroad, but we just wanted something local. It just, we've, I mean, I've lived in Hackney now for like over 20 years, 30 years. Um, and it just felt important to do something that was going to contribute to our local economy and, you know, be able to, uh, train local people up and just you know I think having that well one from a sustainable point of view you know I'm, I'm it means a lot to me that we can make something that isn't you know hasn't traveled the world at least as little as possible um to minimize harm um but also yeah just to be able to give back I mean you know I love where we live and I love being able to give back to the community and that's important um as much as we can to keep you know, to find local suppliers and give, you know, things back. You know, Rich is dying to speak no, again. No, no, I was just, <laughs> there was one thing that I meant to say earlier and I'd kind of forgot, but, you know, going back to that, 
the mass production thing. You know where like people basically they do their samples, like you say, and then they order a thousand or ten thousand from China. But what one thing that I learned that was re really important at the start was that um, we did get some samples from a Portuguese factory. And I remember getting them and they looked amazing. I was like, wow, you know, like it's a shame they're not UK based because look at these. And they didn't even charge us for the samples. And then, um, but then two years later, having learned to sew and been through everything, now when I look at the Portuguese samples, they actually look fairly rubbish. You know, there's lots Brilliant. of mistakes. But you, that's the problem at the start. You don't have the eye to see where mm. things aren't right. And I think that's where, again, you get lots of waster because you, you pay for these things. And then once you start getting feedback, people are like, oh, it's not right. Or this is this is uh, hurting. Um, Plus, uh, you, if you get any feedback about the fit or anything from your customers, you can implement it straight away. You yes. haven't got to sell another 500 pieces to then make those changes on the next round of production. Yeah, yeah. I mean, no, we love yeah, what exactly. we make. So, <laughs> you know, it's nice. It's nice. Oh, when I love somebody what comes you back. make, too. <laughs> I think it's incredible, which is why I wanted to get you uh, on the podcast. You've both been incredible guests. The technology hasn't let us down either. We've managed to do a three-way call, which is brilliant. Thank you so much for joining me. No, thank and you so I'm much. I'm really us. looking forward. I'm looking so forward to seeing how this evolves over the next few years. It's Can so I just... nice for us. Oh, I was just going to say, I, it's been so nice because we've sat at your shows like maybe two, three years ago, and it's nice to actually now be a guest in your show. So it's a, it's been a real good journey for us, to be honest. Brilliant. Yeah. Rich, no, no, I was going to say the same because most of this journey actually started with one of your first trade shows that you did. You know, when you have no idea, it's such a good idea to come down to your... I'm not sponsored by you, by the way. I'm just saying it's not promoted post. <laughs> no, and also but, um, I'm not doing the shows anymore because I lost too much money oh, on them, sadly, because no. of COVID. Because yeah, we God. literally had to pull the plug on the 2021 right. five yeah. days before oh, the show. Yeah, so yeah, don't I talk to imagine. me about a show because no, that but, show um, did... Sets, but there will be virtual versions yeah. of the show still. No, but it but really it helped a lot. Smaller. It helped us oh, a lot. Oh, we're doing smaller um, ones, but not great big ones where the venue <laughs> cost me a six-figure sum to hire. Oh, God, but yeah. that's brilliant to hear. And it's great to hear that you found your machinery supplier at the show as well, Yeah, which is incredible. And that was the whole plan behind setting up the show was to help people like you. So amazing. I even contacted some of your speakers. Like, you know, there was, um, is it Matt Booth? from bo both barrels he makes luggage yes yeah and you know like little things like being cheeky because we i couldn't figure out how to do the logo on the back of the suit and i knew he'd worked with some big brands and i just sent him a mail and i was like sorry i saw you speaking at the show <laughs> do you mind to help me figure out this labeling problem and he was so nice and like most people actually yeah. you know are quite happy to kind of help you solve problems because they've all had the same problems themselves yeah that's really yeah. good advice some fantastic gems in this interview, some really good advice for anyone. And I hope it has inspired some other people to set up micro factories, because you can tell I'm really excited about, about anyone that, that, that does what you guys do. So well done, fantastic. And thank you for being on the show. Oh, thank thank you. you so much, Kate. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Make It British podcast. I make an episode every Tuesday and Friday, plus there are bonus episodes occasionally. So make sure you subscribe in your favourite podcast app. And if you're looking to find British made brands or UK manufacturers, check out the directory on the Make It British website, which you can find at makeitbritish.co.uk forward slash directory. Thank you for listening. Bye bye.